I spoke last night with um, some, some people from Florida who regularly are with us. They're watching every Sunday morning. So I just want to say hi to Ron and Kathleen. That, hey, glad you're with us again. And uh, thanks for the visit last night. Um, going to begin by reading another of the birth narratives that we have given for us in the Gospels. And this, you are familiar with this. It maybe feel like a little bit long of a reading, but I promise my message afterwards won't go long. But we're going to read this morning from Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. And here's what, we, here's what Matthew tells us about part of what was happening at the time of Christ's birth. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy, and when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Now when Herod was dead, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in the city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. 
The thoughts that I shared on Christmas Eve, there was, there was a limited amount of time to share them, but they were really the first part of, of what we're going to be talking about today. It actually, in my mind, is a two-part thing. We considered, and you're familiar with it, we're not going to review it, we considered the shepherds who received the angels' announcements. And you know that story. And we pointed out that they went away rejoicing because they had entered into the blessings that God was showing them. And they had, if you will, they had received and opened the gift of the Christ child. That was the point we were trying to make. It's necessary to receive what Christ has done and having come. Can't just go, oh, okay. That was our point. Today, I want to look at someone else who got effectively the same message, came a different way, got the same message, but responded entirely differently. And you have guessed, the person we want to talk about today, in contrast to the shepherds, is Herod. We just read about that well-known account of how he reacted. And in Matthew chapter 2, verse 3, we read this, When Herod the king heard this, the wise men who came and said, Where is he born, king of the Jews? When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Friends, the presence of God can be disturbing. The presence of God invading into our pleasant little comfortable existence might disrupt things a little bit. We noted, we noted with the shepherds, they were disrupted. They were out there doing their thing, watching their sheep, doing what they were supposed to be doing. And then the angels came and said, hey, you need to get into Bethlehem. And they had to make the effort and let you know, make arrangements for their sheep to be cared for by some of them, I'm assuming, who stayed back. And then some went to see what the angels had said. They were disrupted by the presence of God. But they embraced the disturbance. They embraced it as something good has happened and we've got to see and understand and grasp for ourselves what it is. Herod did not embrace the disruption in any fashion. Why? Well, it's pretty obvious when we're the, te- the way the text goes. It was a threat to his security. He sees himself himself as the king of the Jews. He sees himself as the one who is in authority. He sees himself as the one whom the people should follow, bow down to, and not this thing that he had just been told about. One born king of the Jews, this one long awaited, and his security was disturbed. Have you ever thought that we're not a whole lot different than Herod sometimes? We're all people. Everybody's got stuff. We too measure God's plan against our own plans and securities and arrangements and how we want life to go. So when it comes to the question of how we use our time, we want to do it the way we want to do it. We want to spend the time in the things we want to spend the time in. And we'll make those decisions, thank you. When it comes to the question of marriage, I'm going to marry who I want to marry. We've gone all over the board with that in our culture in this day and age. And when we're living within the context of marriage, 
I'm just going to, you know, do it my way within the context of this marriage and I'm going to, I'm going to be what I want to be here in this household. And then I, I think in terms of the question of, of just leisure versus rest. The Bible says we all need to rest. We all have to rest. There, it, it, it prescribes that for us. But some of us prefer to live our lives as if every day, as if every day was a day of rest. As if every day was a day of leisure. As if every day we should be able to just go out and, and do whatever those recreational things are that we want to do and we forget that there's a God in heaven who's trying to accomplish something in this world and He may want to have a say on some of this time that we're using to do whatever it is we do that per perhaps isn't very redemptive in His purposes. Yeah, you know, there's somebody that, that we've had the privilege of knowing in our church for very many years, and, and I just wanna I just wanna mention him as the way to do it right. because so, it sounds like I'm being negative. I'm not. I'm just saying, hey, this is what we do. We 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 protect our little securities and we're all, all going about ordering our lives. And I think I'm pretty accurate that if you ask Larry Bierceness about this question years ago when he was a young man, he thought God was moving him to the mission field. And with prayer and with um, yielding himself to the Lord's direction, he came to an understanding. He thought, you know, I don't think God's actually moving me to a mission field. I think he wants me to farm right up here and be involved in a church right here. Now think of the blessing that Larry has been to us, right? He gave God that, that choice in his life as to what he should do. And we have, we have been so richly blessed by Larry Bierceness, because he did allow God into these places. He did not try and simply design his own life that he was going to go for regardless of, of anything else. And so we have, we've been given a wonderful example in Larry, but the presence of God can be disturbing. I have things I want to do and I don't want him getting in the way of it. And, as we see with, with uh, Herod, the presence of God can be dismissed. If I don't want to deal with that, I'm going to go about doing things my own way and I will dismiss what has been given. So he, was, he had declared to him that the one born king of the Jews had arrived just like the shepherds had heard that the one had arrived. But he decided to dismiss it. He was intentional, deceptive, and in the end, brutal. But he was not giving in was he, to this disruption, this disturbance into his reign as king. We have repeatedly used the phrase from the book of Romans about those who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Boy, did he attempt to suppress the truth? He tried to kill the Christ child, didn't he? That was the ultimate means to attempt to suppress truth is, oh, they're saying that's him? We'll just take him off the scene. We'll keep going on with what we're doing because I have my kingdom I'm going to protect. Man, oh man, attempting to suppress the truth in the most incredible way. Well, there are some people around us in this day and age who are intentional, deceptive, and brutal, just as much so in uh, suppressing truth. The church, people in the, the church is still persecuted in places around the world. People don't want the gospel to go forth. It's prohibited in certain countries. This is, this is an attempt to suppress. No, nope, nope, can't let that message get out. 
We can't let people hear that. And something that just struck me, and it had never hit me this way before, um, but that just worth our considering. You, I just want to just, this is kind of a sidelight, but it comes down to this suppressing truth. And there's this ongoing battle within our culture about the question of abortion. And there are people who are constantly trying to push further for more abortions, and there are those who are trying to eliminate it completely. And the thought that crossed my mind was I read it this, this, um, this year, and, and uh, re- reading the accounts was when Mary came to Elizabeth. How many months pregnant was Elizabeth? Do you remember? Six. She was six months present, uh, pregnant. And when, when Mary came and that baby, uh, 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 inside of Elizabeth, Mary spoke, and the baby in Elizabeth, six months pregnancy, heard by the Holy Spirit, it says, Elizabeth said, the child heard you and jumped for joy. So I just like to throw this out there in this world where we have some brutal deceptions as you ask, at what point is it legitimate or not legitimate to have, a, have an abortion? I would like to suggest biblically, minimally, we can't go past six months. I don't think we should go anywhere. Don't get me wrong. But we have a biblical point that we could say. Six months, clearly. And there are those who want to push for... See, they'll bring deceptions to say, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. There are some who have gone out crazy things that said, hey, the child was born for two days, two days after you born. We can take care of that. It's craziness, the stuff that is out there. Because why? Because we don't want to disrupt our lives. So... There's just a little thing that, that uh, came to the surface in my thinking when I read about that. I was like, wow, there's clearly a marker that we should make, although I don't think that's the marker we should live with. I think we should say we need to be aware of that, that, that it is a child and um, aware as to what's going on. All right, so that's that. Some people are intentional, deceptive, and brutal. That's just how it is in this day and age. They don't want the gospel to go forth. They don't want God to be invading their lives or anybody else's lives. They want to be in control. We, good, decent people, we tend to be more intentional, deceptive, and subtle. Not brutal, we're subtle. We are just as much having to wrestle with this question of how much, how much room am I going to give God? How much space am I going to give Him in my life? And um, we, had, we had noticed, again, in Romans, as we looked at it, we said, you know what? Paul's very straightforward. He says, you do exactly what the people who are openly sinning and suppressing are doing. You do the exact same things. So if we're going to receive that, we better examine how might that be. Well, here's a thought that just comes to my mind. We make up excuses not to put God out of the picture. That We're not going to do that. No, no, no. We would never do that. We just sang about Jesus and, and being born in a manger. No, no, no. I'm not about to put God out of the picture but to limit his place in the picture while claiming to worship him. It's not like we say that he is the picture. He is the reason I live. He is what I live for. He has to be involved in everything in my life. And so we go, well, this is the picture of my life, and I move him over to this part, and I keep him nicely compartmentalized in this part of my life rather than having his place over my entire life. So we're a little more subtle about this thing that the one who is king, the one who is Lord, wants to be present in our lives. And here's, here's what I mean by this. It's just simple things, you know. Sometimes we kind of take, well, I'll get around to the God thing later. 
I'm pretty busy right now. And so, you know, I'll do some basic kind of things, but I'm not going to take real seriously what it means to walk with God uh, until I get a couple of other things ordered properly in my life. You think that day ever comes with that attitude? You and I know both. It does not. Or we take, an, we take a perspective that we totally believe in God, totally believe in Jesus, and we, and we live in this place of me and God, we're okay. I got things worked out. Me and the Lord, we're good. I've had people, as I try and share Christ with them, that's basically what they do. What they, oh, yeah, we're good. Everything's fine between me. Don't talk to me about that. Everything's fine. Well, if you haven't even considered who Christ is seriously, maybe everything's not fine. Or, I don't hurt anybody. Why should there be a problem? I, I don't hurt anyone. See, what are we doing? And all of this stuff, we're just dismissing this message that there's one who has been born as the Christ. The one whom we need. The one who came to be our Savior. I, I don't need him. Then this is an interesting one, isn't it? This, this allows us to not have to listen to the message that Christians bring. And part of the reason I'm coming from this direction is because we have yearly try and point out that this is a season. We, you know, we begin with singing, go tell it on the mountain. We have a message to tell the world, friends. And we might hear, well, Christians are hypocrites. You see, by somebody saying, oh yeah, I believe in God, but Christians are hypocrites and I can dismiss anything that they have to say. I can dismiss the wonders of who Jesus Christ is because Christians are hypocrites. I have a question for you. Are Christians hypocrites? Hmm? Anybody willing to answer? Thank you. Yeah, we are. Okay, that's true. We're, great. We're hypocrites. All, we fail all the time. We fail in front of people all the time. We don't live up to the standards that we want to for our own lives. All the time. That doesn't mean Christianity isn't true and that this message that there is one born king of the Jews is as real today as it was back in Herod's day. But we look for this little excuse to push it to the side. Because, well, Christians, they're just hypocrites. See, we don't want God interrupting the lives that we have sculpted. So instead, we accept a God of our own making. We think God should be this way. Here's how I want to fashion God. And... and goes like this. God wants me to be happy. God wants them to be happy. God wants this great thing. If he's loved because he loves us, then he'll be okay with all of this. When it's things that are absolutely contrary to Scripture, absolutely contrary to God's nature, absolutely contrary to God's standards, and we just go, well, yeah, but he wants me to be happy. And so now I can take all of that reality that he's revealed and just push it aside and I can create my own God. Oh no, my happiness is what matters to him most. Well, I think he's more interested in us being holy than happy. Now when we are holy, we will be happy. We'll walk in that. We'll have our ups, time, down, up times and down times, no, like everybody else. But that's where we're going to find the greatest joy and the greatest goodness is when we walk in that place that God has outlined for us. But we're just like Herod, okay? We're out, we're out creating, we're sculpting our own little life, our own little safe places, and don't, don't do anything, Lord, that's going to disrupt this, because I'm not interested in it. So, as fallen people, we have countless ways to dismiss God, just like Herod did. We do. It's okay if we get honest about that. We do. And here's my point. Dismissing God, when we find ways to push Him to the... Dismissing God is always a fool's errand. And that's what I've called this message. The fool's errand. 
Would you notice? And I'm going to make a simple point and we're going to be done. We'll definitely be done early. Notice the different endings. And this is what hit me. The different endings between the narrative of the shepherds and the narrative of Herod. Both received a message that Christ had come, right? Both received it. And compare, if you will, how the Gospels write the last statement we have about each of them. See if you can find the contrast. The shepherds in Luke chapter 2, verse 20. We read this the other night. Then the shepherds returned. They went, remember, they went to see the Christ. They opened the gift, if you will, and they embraced it. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Is that a happy place? Is that a great place? Is that not a great statement about they responded to what they'd been told? They entered into the beauty of that night and the Christ child being born and they came away and they are rejoicing and they are glad and their lives have been changed. They will never be the same because of that experience. Because they came into contact with the living Christ and allowed God to, to disrupt their night of watching the sheep. They returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen. Now, notice the last statement of what took place with Herod. It just it jumps off the page at me. Verse 19 of chapter 2. Here's the last thing we hear about this account. Now, when Herod was dead. Now, when Herod was dead. The shepherds came back rejoicing, celebrating. How many hundreds of people through the rest of their lives did they tell about what they saw that night? That was their experience. Now, when Herod was dead. That's all the Bible has to say about him after that. The shepherds were rejoicing and Herod, he died. Psalm 14.1, Psalm 53.1 both say, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Herod believed he could act as if God would not have a hand in things. Herod acted as if there was no God. He acted like a fool. Which is why I say this is a fool's errand. To just dismiss God and what He's revealing to us. What He's showing us. The thing, great and wonderful things that He's doing. And I think it's kind of interesting that God's work went on well after Herod was gone. And the visual that comes into my mind, oh, here, Herod was on the scene for a while, and yes, he was, he was the local king in their area for a while, and he heard the message, and, and, and his deceptiveness was to say, oh, bring me word, I'm going to come and worship him too. Right? No, that wasn't his intention. He was deceiving. Just like we do. We act like sometimes like we're going to be great worshipers. We're going to be totally committed people. And then, deep in our hearts, we know, well, maybe I'm not that committed. But what his ultimate goal was to destroy the Christ child. And now he has on his record, as he stands before the Lord, he has on his record the death of how many innocent boys, two years old and under, that he will be held accountable for having killed. That's number one. That's part of his history now. And then after that, doesn't it just seem when you read, now when Herod was dead, it's like, oh yeah, he was going along and God just wiped him off the table. Okay, I'm done with you. I'm done with you. You're, you're insignificant. You have no, nothing more to do in this world. And what you stood for is going to be defeated. Now when Herod was dead, 
Shepherds rejoicing, praising God. Herod died. And it didn't seem to stop what God was doing, did it? The progress, friends, this is the great truth that is ours. The progress of the gospel, this good news unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The progress of the gospel, the good news, and I'm, I've said it repeatedly throughout this season, and it's, it, it, it just strikes me because of what we're seeing people deal with in their lives. The progress of the gospel is the only thing guaranteed, guaranteed in this life and the only thing that is lasting. Whatever else it is we're ordering our lives around, whatever else that thing is, we'll go, you know, Lord, could you not disrupt me right here? I'm kind of busy right now. Could you not, could you not ask to have a place in my life right now? Because i got this going on and I'm trying to shape that and fashion that. And eventually it all gets wiped right off the tables of history. It becomes nothing. It becomes absolutely nothing. It's only the gospel that is going to have a continuing input. Just think, that message is still impacting lives today. What's Herod doing today? He's got nothing. But that message that the, that, the, that the shepherds announced, it's still going forth. See, they were part of something living and dynamic and eternal. And they embraced it. And friends, may God give us hearts that will embrace fully that like the shepherds, He's giving us a place to be a part of a, of a story, of a narrative, to have something to tell the people around us that will help people get out of the darkness of this world. We have a Savior. And He is well worth proclaiming. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, let's, let's pray. Father, thank You that, that um, as You have revealed for us on the pages of Scripture, there's such a contrast and such, such a, a different outcome to those who will receive the blessing of the Christ where there is rejoicing and praise and, and glorious things happening and those who sullenly reject it, Lord. And those who decide, no, I don't want anything to do. I don't want to be disturbed. And they dismiss it. Lord, may we never dismiss the work You're trying to do in our lives. I thank You for each one who is here who has received the gift. And I, and, and I pray Your blessing upon them that we might all the more open up that picture that You have a greater part in the picture and in the plan of our lives on a, on a daily basis. And Father, if there's anyone here today who has yet to respond, who has yet to open up the gift of Jesus Christ to receive Him in a personal way, in a way that is transforming their lives, I pray that today will be the day when they say, Lord Jesus, I need the gift that You brought. I need what You are accomplishing in the world. Do it in my own heart and in my own life. And uh, Father, nobody will leave here today without having encountered the glorious Gospel of Christ. So thank You for the morning that we've had. We ask Your Blessing on us as we go. In Jesus' name.